Amen. Would you please take the, the word of God and turn with me to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. We're going to be looking at the last portion of this chapter in Acts uh, chapter number 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 15. Acts chapter 1, uh, verse number 15. So far we've looked at two things. We looked at the command to witness, to go into all the world. Uh, in verse number 8, and also we see their command to wait. Waitness, but wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost to come down. We find that their witness was dependent upon the power of God, and also their waiting was demonstrated in prayers to God. But now we come to an interesting portion of Scripture. Something's going to happen in those 10 days, that 10-day window. Uh, before the day of Pentecost, and we find that in verse number 15, the Bible says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, The number of the names together were about 120. Men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake before concerning Judas, which was guide to them that took Jesus. For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Now this man purchased a field which with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong he burst asunder in the midst and all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem inasmuch as that field is called in their proper tongue a seldoma, that is to say the field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms let the, his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the same day that he was taken up from us, must one's be or, one be ordained to be a witness unto, with us of his resurrection. And they appointed two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now as we looked at this scene here in the first chapter, we noticed several things about this group of 120 that was gathered, and we know there's about a ten-day period from the time that Jesus Christ ascended, and they came back to Jerusalem. They're all in the upper room, they're in prayer, they're in one accord, and then ten days later, the day of Pentecost would come, and in between those ten days... They were in one accord, something takes place here. If you would, there's kind of, something comes up, and we would say it would be the elephant in the room. Somebody's missing. And that's Judas. Now, I, I think that if we put ourselves in the mind of the disciples that were present there and the 120 that were gathered there, I'm certain that at some point the subject of Judas Iscariot came up. As a matter of fact, we go back to the time when Jesus Christ was with his disciples, when he was uh, 
instituted the Lord's Supper, uh, he broke the bread and he kind of said that one of them was going to betray him. What is interesting to find is in, on that scene, despite all the depictions of the picture of Jesus Christ, and Judas is always kind of pictured as the man who looks, has a frown on his face, and you can always point him out as the evil man that's sitting there among the other disciples, but that's not the way it was. As a matter of fact, the disciples were so taken back by that that they asked themselves, is it me? In other words, not one of the disciples ever would have guessed that Judas was the one that was to betray the Lord. As a matter of fact, we know based upon the ministry of the disciples that Judas was the one who carried the bag. He was the one that was keeping records. He knew what was coming into the bag of money, what was going out. And uh, that should tell us that he was one of the most trusted of the disciples to have been committed that part of the ministry. And so along the line, this subject here comes up of Judas who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, who none of the disciples expected, but by the way, who had already been announced at the beginning of the ministry of Christ. As a matter of fact, early on, Jesus Christ said to the disciples, one of you hath the devil. That was announced early on. But now we come to this scene where Judas is not there. As a matter of fact, he hung himself and he's dead. But also the disciples know that there are certain things that Jesus said concerning the kingdom of God. He talked about how the twelve disciples, the twelve apostles would be sitting on their thrones. But there's only eleven on this scene. Judas is gone. And so now this subject has to be dealt with. There's one apostle missing and we know that there ought to be twelve. But I want to preach a message this afternoon that I've entitled, A Response to the Betrayal of Judas. A Response to the Betrayal of Judas. When we approach this passage, there's really a lot of debate about what happened here. On the one hand, some people think that what happened is exactly what should have happened. On the other hand, a good number of people say that what happened, Peter should not have done that and they should not have appointed Matthias to have this ministry. But uh, despite us looking at all the things that we think went wrong, I want us to really consider what they did that was right. Because despite what we see is, this was uh, something that for them, I'm sure, was heavy on their heart. Think about it. Uh, Judas had been along with the twelve disciples for three and a half years. He had been there with them. He had heard the, the ministry of Jesus Christ. He had heard Him preach. He had heard Him teach. He had seen the miracles. He was sent out just like all the other disciples. He had been partaking of the ministry of Jesus Christ. But yet He was the one that betrays. And now there's this glaring emptiness in the room where Judas that had been there for three and a half years is no longer there. As a matter of fact, now he is the one who is known forever as the one who betrayed Jesus Christ. And so with that in mind, I want to consider three things this morning, afternoon, whatever time of day it is. And first of all, I want us to see, the first thing we find is a confidence in the Scriptures. I want you to see in verse number 15, the Bible says, In those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, the number of the names together were about 120, verse 16, men and brethren, this scripture must needs have been fulfilled, 
Despite what uh, people criticize what Peter did here, I want us to see that what Peter did is actually commendable. He actually stands up and he quotes the Scriptures, which by the way is a good thing to do. He looks at the situation and he basically says what, the, what has happened here is actually the fulfillment of prophecy concerning Judas. Now some people have said, well why did Peter stand up? Why was he the one set up? And often people are critical of Peter and I think that sometimes it is really not appropriate for us because people sometimes act like they know what Peter was thinking. The truth is we don't know what Peter was thinking, but what we do know is that he quoted the Scriptures. And I don't think that that can be attributed to Peter as some bad thing. As a matter of fact, I think it is warranted for Peter to be the one who is standing up instead of all of the other disciples. The reason why I say that is because of John chapter number 21. If you just go a few pages to your left there, at the end here in John chapter 21, we have this conversation between Jesus Christ and the Apostle Peter. Notice in John 21 verse number 15. The Bible says, So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. And he saith unto him, Jesus said unto Peter, What is it? Feed my lambs. Verse 16, He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. I believe that what happens in Acts chapter 1 is actually Peter obeying the Lord. Jesus Christ was the one who told Peter, feed my sheep. Who were the sheep? The 120 that would gather there in the upper room. One of the last things, one of the last interactions that Jesus Christ had with His disciples, He singled out Peter, and He told Peter specifically over all the other disciples, Peter, you feed my sheep. Now Peter got a little distracted. He said, well, what about John? And Jesus says, what is that to thee? You follow me. So I believe that when we come to Acts chapter number 1, Peter taking the helm and preaching the Scriptures in this, in, in this upper room is actually exactly what Jesus Christ told him to do. The book of Acts, as a matter of fact, can be divided into two natural sections. You can have Acts chapter 1 through all the way to chapter 12, and that is predominantly the Apostle Peter. He is the predominant figure from chapter 1 through chapter 12. And then when we come to chapter 13, all the way to the end of the book of Acts in chapter number 28, the predominant figure is the Apostle Paul. And so really it is appropriate because from this moment on in Acts chapter number 1, all the way to Acts chapter number 12, Peter is the predominant figure. He is the one preaching on the day of Pentecost. He is the one, and by the way, nobody attributes the day of Pentecost and the preaching of Peter as something that Peter did in the flesh. He was filled with the Spirit of God. And God did a mighty work on the day of Pentecost. And so, I don't think that Peter did what he did here was inappropriate. I think he was simply being obedient to the Lord as we find the natural division of the book of Acts. But as we consider the confidence in Scripture, I want to notice three things about Peter as he uh, opens up the Scriptures to those who are gathered in the upper room. First of all, we see that the Scripture was authoritative. Notice Peter, as he opens up, he says... Uh, these are the first words, verse 16. Men and brethren, this Scripture. That's how he begins. 
Uh, it'd be like us as we begin every message. Let's take our Bibles. This Scripture. That's where we begin. We begin with the Word of God. That tells us this about this group of 120 people that were gathered together. They all had the same mindset about the Scriptures. The Scriptures to them was authoritative. That's what they gathered around. Uh, that's what they were in fellowship with, uh, fellowship with. That's what brought them together into one accord. And so I would say that it was a good way for Peter to start to address the matter of Judas no longer being with them. Peter begins... With the Scriptures. As a matter of fact, notice, he doesn't begin with Judas. He begins with the Scriptures. He again declared, notice in verse number 20, of what he said in verse 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate. I think Peter did a wonderful job. But what we do find here, uh, as we see a confidence in the Scripture, we see that the Scripture to them, to those first century Christians, was authoritative. The second thing we notice very quickly is that the Scripture was authenticated. Notice in verse number 16, he talks about the Scripture and he says, this Scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake uh, before, concerning Judas, which was guide to them, that took Jesus. Again in verse number 20, For it is written in the book of Psalms, Let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. And so understand here what uh, Peter realizes here as he's familiar with this scripture, he recognizes in that moment that not only do we uh, center our attention on the scriptures, but also we see that the scriptures have been authenticated. You see, that would be uh, uh, really the fulfilled prophecy would be fresh on their minds. You remember what Jesus Christ said after his resurrection? He came to them, and what did he berate them for? He says, Oh, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written concerning me. You see, Jesus Christ then, in Luke chapter 24, he expounded unto them the scriptures. He began on Moses, and he went through the prophets and in the Psalms, the things concerning himself. And so Peter here, and, and really he does the same thing. He uh, looks, he elevates the Scriptures and says the Scriptures has not only been authenticated in Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection and His ascension, but also the Scriptures have even been authenticated in the matter of Judas Iscariot. God had already said that that would happen. There are two main passages that Peter quotes here. Uh, it is Psalm 109 and Psalm 69. I want us to go first of all to Psalm 109. Let's turn there and see here what the Apostle Peter quotes. Psalm 109, if you go with me, and let's begin reading verse 1 and down to verse number 8. And here Peter looks back and says this refers to Judas and he's going to quote one of the verses here in Psalm 109. Notice, Psalm 109 verse 1. Hold not thy peace, O God of my praise. For the mouth of the wicked and the mouth of the deceitful are open against me. They have spoken against me with a lying tongue. They compassed me about also with words of hatred and fought against me without a cause. For my love they are my adversaries. But I give myself unto prayer and they have rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love that's exactly what happened with Judas, was it not? Set thou a wicked man over him, and let Satan stand at his right hand. When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. Let his days be few, and let another take his office. That's what Peter quotes. 
Let his children be fatherless and his wife a widow. Let his children be continually vagabonds and beg. Let them seek their bread also out of their desolate places. Isn't the second place that Peter quotes is Psalm 69. If you go a few pages to your left in Psalm 69 verse 20. Notice verse 20 through 25. The Bible says, Reproach hath broken my heart and I am full of heaviness and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none, and for comforters, but I found none. They gave me also a gall of my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. We know this is prophetic, right? Talking about Jesus Christ on the cross. Let their table become a snare before them, and that which shall have been to their welfare, let it become a trap. Let their eyes be darkened that they see not, and make their loins continually to shake. Pour out thine indignation upon them, and let thy watchful anger take hold of them. Let their habitation be desolate and let none dwell in their tents. And so we find that Peter quotes those two Psalms that we find, Psalm 109 and Psalm 69. And so we find that not only to these first century believers was the scripture authoritative, but it was also authenticated. Fulfilled prophecy is one of the greatest proofs of the validity of God's word. But there's one more thing we find, and that is the Scripture was acted upon. You see, it was not enough for, say, the Scriptures have been fulfilled. But now we've got to do something about it. Verse 23, notice the Bible says after uh, Peter, uh, he concludes, says they appointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And so we find here uh, that they appoint to two. And so what we notice about this church, often people say, well, Peter shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't have stood up. He shouldn't have uh, been involved with that. But I say that what Peter did was actually good because he declared the, the Scriptures as authoritative, as authenticated, and then he acted upon it. I think that's a good thing. I think that's a good example to follow as we consider the Apostle Peter. So not only do we see here in this passage, we find a confidence in the Scriptures, but secondly, we find a caution for the saints. Because after all, this whole subject is about Judas. And it seems to me that, as I said, this would kind of be the subject that would bother everybody. This Judas had been uh, with Jesus Christ and with the disciples for three and a half years. He had taken part in the ministry as we find in our text. There's two things we find about Judas, first of all, or three things. We notice, first of all, his part in the ministry. Notice verse number 17. The Bible says here, For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of this ministry. Later, notice he says, in verse number 23, And they appointed two. Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice Matthias, and they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. And so we know Judas here, they're about to choose somebody, somebody else to replace Joseph, but we look at Judas had a part in the ministry. He did something, he had some responsibilities. The Bible says in verse 25, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. Now some people use this passage and do it, they do it wrongly to show that someone can lose their salvation. 
And they look at the example of Judas and see, see, here's a man who fell from grace. The problem is the Bible never says he fell from grace. The Bible says he fell from his apostleship. He fell from his ministry. You see, Judas fell from his ministry and apostleship. There is no evidence that Judas was a man who believed in Jesus Christ. There is no evidence where Judas, by the way, ever called Jesus Lord. All the other disciples did, but Judas never did. He called him master like many of the other religious leaders. But he never called Jesus Lord. You know, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, the Bible says, Wherefore, I give you to understand that no man can, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. You remember when Peter said that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God? Uh, uh, Jesus says, My Father hath revealed it unto you. I don't believe that Judas ever had that testimony. As a matter of fact, early on in the ministry in John chapter number 6, in the early parts of the ministry of Christ, the Bible says, Then said Jesus unto the twelve, Will ye also go away? Then Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? You see, he spake the Bibles of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So understand, Judas was not like at the beginning he believed, and then he didn't believe, he never believed. He was always a devil. The Bible calls him out in the Gospel of John, in the middle of this, uh, uh, the, the ministry, he was a thief. He never believed in Jesus Christ. He never saw Jesus Christ as Lord. You see, since the beginning of the Lord's ministry, uh, Jesus Christ separated Judas from all of the other disciples as being a devil. That was in the present tense. Not that he would become a devil, but that he was a devil. John 17, 12 says, While I was with them in the world, I kept them uh, uh, in thy name. Those that thou gavest me, I kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Now that's interesting because here, Jesus Christ in his prayer calls Judas the son of perdition. That expression is only used twice in the Bible. The second time it is used, it is used in 1 Thessalonians chapter, or 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition. Who is that? That is the Antichrist. You see, Judas was never a man who believed in Jesus Christ. In this case, the son of perdition, the man of sin, is the Antichrist. The son of perdition is the son of Satan. Uh, just as Jesus Christ is the son of God, Judas is the son of perdition. Now, let's not confound because people say, well, you understand, the disciples were all, right, children of the devil because that's how we're all born. We're all born children of the devil. No, nobody is called a son of perdition except for Judas. You see, Judas is singled out from all of the other disciples as someone that is different. As a matter of fact, if you go with me to Acts 1 verse 25 in our passage here, the Bible says that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. The only time this expression is found that he might go to his own place is right here. It is not found anywhere else. Now some people believe 
that Judas Iscariot is the one that's going to come back as the son of perdition, as the Antichrist. I'm not going to be categorical about that, but that's where people say he went to his own place. His own place is a place specifically for him. But the question is, now why would Jesus Christ choose Judas knowing that Judas has a devil? If Judas was never a believer, the words of the Lord make that clear. The question then is, why would Jesus choose Judas? Well, I believe we, we know it's a fulfillment of prophecy, but Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong unto the Lord our God. But those things that are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. The truth is, there are certain things in the Bible we just have to say, God knows. And the truth is, God knew before, revealed in His Word as it was prophesied, and God has the answers to those things, those secret things that we do not know. You see, Judas never experienced the new birth that was presented to Nicodemus. Judas never received the living water that was presented to the woman at the well. Judas did not lose his eternal life. He never received eternal life by Jesus Christ. You see, Judas fell from his office. From his apostleship. If you go with me to Matthew chapter number 7. In Matthew chapter number 7, the Bible says in verse of 21 through 23, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And then I will profess unto them, notice the words, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Such people are not people who fall from grace, or people who never were known of God. You see, a man does not lose, cannot lose his salvation. In 2 Corinthians 11, verse 13, the Bible says, For such are false apostles. No one knows. He mentions apostles. Not false professors or believers. False apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness whose ends shall be according to their work. And so it says here that some uh, uh, who work, who seem to be uh, workers of righteousness, in the end, were never workers of righteousness. There is this presentation. They looked at like the apostles of Christ, but they are not. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 18, the Bible says, Little children, it is the last time, and as ye have heard that Antichrist shall come, even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. If they had been with uh, of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest that they were not of us. He describes the people who had been in church for some time and says, well, what happened to these people? And he says, they were never of us. They may have congregated with us. They may have sung the same songs. They may have held the same scriptures in their hands, but they were never of us. You see, that's, a, I believe, a warning for 
anybody who comes to church. Just because you sing the songs, you open the Bible, and you listen to Bible preaching does not mean you are saved. Just because you come and you uh, say, well, uh, even uh, someone who says, I even serve in the ministry, does not mean you're saved. If you trust in the ministry, if you trust that you have the right Bible, that you're part of the right church, that you come to the services faithfully, if you're trusting in that to get you to heaven, you are lost. And you're trusting in the wrong thing. What is shocking to me is that the disciples were clueless as to Judas being the culprit. It was the furthest thing from them. They were even, think about it, they were even willing to accuse themselves before they accused Judas. Nobody would have thought. And so we find his part in the ministry. He fell from that ministry. He lost that position because of transgression. So we find here uh, the, the, uh, a caution for the saints, his part in the ministry, but also we find his purchase with the money. The Bible tells us here, notice in verse number 18, now this man, talking about Judas, purchased a field with the reward of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst asunder in the midst, and all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers at Jerusalem, inasmuch as the field is called unto the, uh, and their proper tongue, a seldom, that is to say, the field of blood. Now if you go back with me to Matthew chapter number 27, we have this scene that is quoted about Judas in Matthew chapter number 27. What happened with Judas? After he betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ, Matthew chapter 27 tells us, gives us the details of what happened following the betrayal. Notice in Matthew 27 verse number 3. The Bible says here, Then Judas which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented, him, repented himself and brought again the thirty pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. And the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful for to put them into the treasury because it is the price of blood. And they took counsel and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Wherefore that field was called the field of blood unto this day. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken by Jeremiah, Jeremiah the prophet, saying, And they took the thirty pieces of silver, the price of him that was valued, whom they of the children of Israel did value, and gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord appointed me. You see, since the chief priests could not take the money of Judas, they returned and they put it uh, because they couldn't put it in the treasury, they purchased a property with the reward of iniquity. Now when you look at this, there's some debate as to, people say in Acts chapter 1, it says, well, it says that Judas purchased the field, but then we read in Matthew that it was actually the chief priest who purchased the field. Well, actually, whose money was it? It was Judas's money. It was the money that was used to betray Jesus Christ. You see, when he cast, when he threw uh, uh, that, uh, the silver pieces in the temple there uh, in front of the priest, uh, notice they, they were like, this is not our money. We can't put this in the treasury. This is, uh, uh, the, this is the money that was used to, uh, to uh, betray a man. And so therefore we can't put this in the treasury. So we're going to take this money who belongs to Judas and we're going to purchase a field. 
So it is his money. And Judas's money was used to purchase a field. The Bible says, if you go back with me to Acts chapter number 1, verse 18, Now this man purchased a field with the reward of iniquity and falling headlong. He burst asunder in the midst and all of his bowels gushed out. And it was known unto all the dwellers of Jerusalem inasmuch as that field is called in their proper tongue as seldom that is to say the field of blood. The truth is we really don't know where Judas died because he died before they purchased that field. But it is possible that wherever Judas went is the field that later would be purchased by the scribes. Uh, they describe this uh, as the potter's field. Well, what was a potter's, potter's field? If you uh, read uh, at verse 18, Now this man purchased a field with, with the reward of iniquity. What was that field? It is described in Matthew chapter number 27 at a potter's field. You see, whether Judas died in that field or another, we do not know for certain. In those times, by the way, a potter's field was a place where potters obtained clay to make earthen vessels. It was a rugged place, often desolate, with many jagged rocks. It is conceivable, however, that Judas could have fallen on one of these rocks with the, when the rope broke and the rocks cut his body, and the Bible says, and then he burned asunder. So it is possible, there is that possibility that Judas could have died and later that same field could have been purchased by the chief priest. But the point is, a field was purchased with the reward of iniquity. The point we find is that Judas was a man who some people even say he could have already purchased a field and that's where he hanged himself because remember, he was stealing from the treasury. He was a thief. The Bible points that out towards the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ that Judas was a thief. He was stealing from the ministry of Christ. What did he do with the money? I'm sure he purchased some things. But the point is, Judas looked like everybody else. But yet inwardly, he was wicked. He walked the same way. He talked the same way. But there was something going on behind the scenes that nobody else knew about. And may that be a warning for the saints. When we come to a church, often we, uh, we, uh, we uh, get to the place where we may struggle when we see perhaps uh, when, when uh, people seem to forsake God completely and we ask ourselves, how can that be possible? Well, we must consider that certain people may have never been saved in the first place. You have a large movement now among contemporary Christian artists. They're coming out declaring that they're atheists. And in an interview, one of the latest ones basically says, well, a lot of the uh, different um, artists are also atheists. They just haven't come out about it. They're acting the same way. They're speaking the same language, but they're not saved. And may, we, may that not discourage us. May that not trouble us. Because that's the way it's always been. It's the way it will always be. So we find a confidence in the Scriptures. We find a caution for the saints. But thirdly, and we're done, we find a challenge for service. 
Notice in verse number 26, the chapter ends, And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. Now there are varying opinions about the appointment of Matthias being numbered with the eleven apostles. Many see this as a problem, seeing that Paul would later become an apostle to the Gentiles. But I'd like to make a few, note, a few important scriptural truths to help give a, an understanding on this matter. I want to consider first of all, that the appointment of Matthias is never condemned in Scripture. Nowhere do you find the word saying that Peter should not have done that. There is no indication or inclination that Peter, what Peter did here in this passage was wrong. Therefore, I see no need for myself to condemn it. The second thing we know is that we also know that other men, apart from the apostles that are present here in Acts chapter 1, are actually called apostles. Sometimes people say, well, there's only 12 apostles. Actually, no, there isn't just 12 apostles. There are more apostles. Acts chapter 14, verse 14, Barnabas is called an apostle. Galatians chapter 1, verse 19, James, the Lord's brother, is called an apostle. He was in the upper room on that day with 120 but he was not one of the twelve apostles when Matthias was appointed. But later he is called an apostle. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, the Bible says here, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus, they're writing this letter. And then in chapter 2, verse 6, Paul writes, says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you, nor yet of others, when we might, be, have, been, when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. So Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus are also called apostles. I think that's important to make note of that. Also, we know that the word apostle simply means a commissioned one. Uh, it is a delegate. It is someone who is an ambassador and a representative. The word apostleship that we find in Acts 1 verse 25 simply means one who has been commissioned. One who has been given an appointment. This was the appointment for a specific task taking over the role of Judas as the treasurer, certainly. Maybe, they gave, maybe the role of the treasurer was given to another disciple. But understand, when Matthias was elected, he was not just selected to sit around. He had certainly a specific task. That's what apostleship means. It means someone who is commissioned to do something. Someone who has a responsibility. In John 12, 6, the Bible says, Then he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. And so we know that Judas had that responsibility. He, he kept record. We have men that keep record when the offering comes. We have several men that do that. Deposit, we have a whole process. But the point is, we keep records of all those things. And we give that as a report. And Judas had that responsibility. There's also one more thing I wanted to note is that we must make the distinction between apostles and the apostles. Uh, you see, the true conflict might come in considering who is one of the twelve apostles who is named on one of the twelve foundations of the heavenly Jerusalem. That's really where the debate comes in. In Revelation 21 verse 14, the Bible says, And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and in them the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. Well, I guarantee you this, Judas' name is not on one of those foundations. Now the question is, is it Matthias or is it Paul? 
You see, that scene there in Revelation 21 is describing heaven and the heavenly Jerusalem. This is after the first heaven and the first earth have passed away and there is a new heaven and a new earth. And I believe that there's no debate as to whose name is written there between Paul and Matthias. I believe it's Paul. Now, that's not a reason for, uh, for us to break fellowship over. I just want to believe because of Galatians 1 verse 1. The Bible says here, Paul, as he opens the letter to the Galatians, he says, Paul, an apostle. And here's what he says. Not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. You see, at that moment, uh, Paul is distinguished from Matthias. Matthias was an apostle of men and by man, right? And he was appointed, and by the way, he was appointed, I believe, appropriately. It's not like he uh, didn't need to be appointed to that position. Uh, they appointed him to that position. Matthias was a good man. He was a godly man, but he was appointed by man. While Paul was appointed by Jesus Christ himself as the apostle to the Gentiles who penned the majority of the New Testament epistles. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 19 says, Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. I believe uh, that as we find that uh, Paul is responsible for the majority of these apostles, that the church is built upon that foundation of that apostle, Paul. With Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. You see, we must consider... The parameters they set for the appointment of Matthias, though, because some people say, well, they shouldn't have done that, but I say, why shouldn't they have done that? He was just commissioned to do something. There are other apostles. There are a number of other apostles that I, we just mentioned just a little bit ago. Barnabas was called an apostle. Others were called apostle, uh, apostles. Others had appointed positions. But I wanted to note the process of how they selected Matthias. And I believe we can learn something as a church. I want you to notice Acts 1 verse 20. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate, and let no man dwell therein, and his bishopric let another take. Wherefore, of these men which have companied with us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto that same day that he was taken up from us, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. And they appointed to Joseph called Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice and Matthias. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen, that he may take part of this ministry and apostleship, from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. I want to notice four things about the selection of Matthias. First of all, we see their submission was scriptural. In verse number 20, Paul says, the, it is written in the book of Psalms, and his bishopric let another take. He quotes the scriptures, and he says, the scripture says, somebody else need to take uh, the, his, his office. That's the word that is used in the book of Psalms. They use the word bishopric, which is the same. He has a specific task to do. And so we find that their submission to find an office that Judas held, and now to give it to somebody else, was scriptural. Their submission was scriptural, but also, secondly, their selection was solid. From verse 21 down to verse 23, he gives the parameters for the next apostle to replace Judas. He says, Wherefore of these men which have companied with us all the time that Jesus went in and out among us. In other words, the beginning of the ministry of Jesus Christ, 
someone who's going to be named among us has to have a three-year record. He has to have been faithful for three years. He has to have been with us for that time. He says, beginning from the baptism of John. So that's right at the beginning of the ministry of Christ, right? Uh, right when he was baptized. That, uh, so again, Matthias and Barsabbas were there at the baptism of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and he was taken up from us. Must one be ordained to be a witness with us of the resurrection? And so understand, not only was their submission, uh, their submission was scriptural, but also their selection was solid. They didn't just pick out anybody. They picked, they narrowed it down to two. And those two had been with Jesus Christ since Jesus Christ had been baptized by John the Baptist. That means they had followed Jesus Christ for three and a half years. Which I believe helps us as we make decisions, when we, uh, a church brings in a pastor, or when a church uh, elects deacons, uh, that the uh, selection should always be solid. We do not base a person's selection to an office on their personality, upon, their, upon what we say, uh, well, they have the ability to do that. We select someone because they have a track record of faithfulness. We do not appoint someone to a ministry position to help them be faithful. We appoint them because they have already been faithful. So we find their submission was scriptural. Their selection was solid. Thirdly, their supplication was sincere. What do they do in verse 24 when they narrow down? Understand here, uh, some people, they criticize the lot casting at the end verse. But I believe the lot casting was, look, these two men can take that office. It really doesn't matter who it is. They're both worthy of this office. And so we just don't know how to narrow it down any further. So let's just cast lots. You see, we find their supplication was a seer. They, verse 24, and they prayed and said. They really wanted to do the Lord's will. There's nothing wrong with those who were, the 120 who were gathered there. They were trying to follow the Lord's leading. They were trying to do things the scriptural way, selecting a man who had been there for three years. And they prayed, and they uh, prayed to God because they wanted God to give them the right man. But we also find one more thing, and that is their substance was specific. What were they looking for? I'll tell you what they were looking for. A man that was different than Judas. And I believe that's why they prayed. Because I want you to know what they said in verse number 24. And they prayed and said, Thou Lord, here it is, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. That's what would separate Matthias and Barsabbas from Judas. What they were interested in. You see, uh, their, their, their substance was specific. They wanted a genuine heart. They wanted a man, look, they, they were not interested in a man who knew how to count money. They were not interested in the man who had this gift and who had a winsome personality. They were interested in a man who had a pure heart before God. And that's why I believe we can find here for us a challenge for our service for the Lord. The 120 that were gathered together in that upper room, seeking to do the will of God, they all submitted themselves to the scriptures. Another one has to take his office. Their selection was solid. They look at the track record of the men who had followed Jesus Christ for three and a half years. Their supplication was sincere. They wanted to do the will of God. And their substance was specific. They were interested in what God was interested in. 
Remember what the Old Testament says? Man looketh on the outward appearance, but God looketh on the heart. And as God's people, that's what we must be interested in. And so when we come to this passage, I think we don't have to debate and make a whole scene about what Peter shouldn't have done and shouldn't have done. There's a lot of good things that happened before the day of Pentecost. And I believe the church got it right as they responded to the betrayal of Judas. We find a confidence in the Scripture. We find a caution for the saints. And we find a challenge for service.